Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport F1 season review. Looking back on what feels like a very different season in 2022 compared to a year ago, I'm Chris Medland, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Damien Smith, Motorsport Magazine special contributor, and Mark Hughes, Grand Prix editor for Motorsport Magazine. So, hello, gents. Welcome back to the review podcast. Yeah, Great. it's that time again already. It is. It comes around quick, and a little bit earlier this year, at least. It's uh, We're recording, and it's still November, which is bizarre based on the last <laughs> few years, but... Uh, <laughs> If you do cast your minds back to just under a year ago, I asked you both the question at the start of that podcast, was 2021 the greatest F1 season you've ever seen? I feel like this year I can't really ask such a question. Um, But despite what was ultimately immense domination from Max Verstappen, it was really boring, was it, Damien? It really wasn't. There wasn't that many dull races, which when you look at the results, you think, how can that be? But, you know, they were were tended to be... uh, um, closely fought, and even even when Verstappen got into that run of victories from the summer, um, I, I really tuned out from Formula One. It was hard to because there was always something going on, and there were battles uh, throughout the field as always as well. Yeah, that was something that was really yeah. exciting, wasn't it, Tabs? Yeah, it was, and it had especially the first part of the season where, as you say, the results don't back it up. But that you know that was when Ferrari and Leclerc were really given you know a, a lot of competition in fact quite often they were the fastest combination and then Red Bull and Verstappen were only winning because of um, failures at Ferrari uh, so yeah there was a um, there was a sense in that first half of the season if Ferrari can just get it right if it can just get the reliability right if they can just get the strategy together this this could still become a really vintage season but then Red Bull really clicked on in the second half of the season didn't they and then Ferrari more or less stayed still. In fact, maybe even um, tailed off a little bit in in ultimate terms, um, especially after TD39, which was the um, tech directive about the, the the bouncing and how the the floor should be mounted. Um, so yeah, it then became one of those seasons where you're just witnessing records being broken, and uh, you know you we're back into the Schumacher Ferrari era, um, which has got its own, you know, it, it, it's it's it you look back on it maybe more fondly than you think of it at the time because it's it's lack of variation as you go into each weekend um but you sort of you were there you were you were there charting it and recording it of, of, of you know records being broken yeah some very impressive records i'm glad you mentioned records because 15 wins for max verstappen the most in a season for any one driver uh, and that would have put him quite a long way up the all-time winners list on his own, just from one season. Uh, but there was two more for Perez as well that made it 17 for Red Bull this year. Uh, on track, they were very, very impressive. But I put it to you, Damien, that is this a year where their on-track exploits will be what they're most remembered for? Or is it a year where Red Bull have kind of got to fight it being overshadowed by off-track incidents? 
Yeah, it's a good good question. I think, um, I hope that they still get credit for what they achieved on the circuit. And um, but there is a shadow. I'm not sure the shadow is as big as some of the shadows we've seen in the past with some of Michael Schumacher's uh, championships at Ferrari and and the Benetton '94 season is one that I always think of. That that season's always overshadowed by the controversies of that of that year. Um, and I, I must admit, in I, I did speculate whether Red Bull would would say face a similar scenario. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, what, what do you think, Tabs? I'm not. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It's 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 on that level, but it's um, there is a shadow. Yeah, absolutely. There's a shadow. They went over the cost cap, and the amount they went over. Ultimately, if you discard the bit of uh, where they didn't properly um, apply their Corporation tax rebate. <laughs> when you take that out of the equation and get the actual amount that they spent more on on performance of the car, if you like, and and forget you know that they 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 claim it was catering. It's it's it all goes into one pot. Um, it was about four hundred thousand pounds. So that isn't going to be the difference between losing a championship and winning it by a record margin. That 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 isn't it's just nonsense. Um, so. Yeah, I think the the scale of their achievement stands, but there's yeah, there's inevitably a little niggling itch about the fact that they broke the cost cap. The, the first time that it was really um, set at a challenging level, um, and they have been penalised for it. And I think the penalty is significant enough, especially the resource restriction, um, that it would put anybody off trying to, uh, you know, press their luck again. I'd, I'd, even if it's not as big as obviously rivals would have liked to have seen it, I think it's it's enough. Yeah, rivals. how predictable? How predictable that uh, you think all those years back in two thousand and nine when Max Mosey first suggested budget caps, we all said, "Well, teams are going to break them, aren't they?" You know, and <laughs> uh, what what happens the first time we get through a full a full cycle? You know, a team breaks it, even if it was a, a minor breach. Well, it did. Yeah, it's, it's, I was Sorry. going to say, it felt a lot like uh, Christian Horner said that the Red Bull were aggressive with the way they went about their kind of financial uh, regulation interpretation uh, this season. And it came back to bite them a little bit. And it just seems that they took that view thinking, well, everyone will do the same because it's going to be difficult. All of the big teams will do this. So we have to do this to get, you know, stay on a level field with them. And instead, nobody else did. So they were left alone in that position. So I think that was what was quite surprising that there wasn't an admission that, oh, we just kind of did it differently to everyone and we'll learn from that it was more uh well everyone will everyone will push the limits so uh it'll be fine we'll all level out and uh and two of them were still waiting for the kind of you know not jumping the start shall i say and, and watching red bull take that little leap yeah i think there was an element of the other the other two teams that were nudging up against it ferrari and mercedes um had a lot more consider in terms of corporate governance and um you know shareholders and with Red Bull an independent soft drinks company not really answering to anyone uh, didn't have that consideration I'm sure that played a part too yeah certainly uh it, it's fascinating to see how each team does uh, apply things and obviously we did get uh, a lot of pressure put on the FIA to come down strongly based on other teams not being particularly uh, happy without even seeing yet the full figures or you know officially seeing the full figures. Um, so it did make some interesting headlines. But if we try and focus on uh, the man that went and won the World Championship from a driver's perspective and the driving part of things, 
how good was Max Verstappen this season? Damien, I'll start with you on that one. Um, in short answer, he was very good, wasn't he? I mean, he, I think he's... I don't think he particularly went up another level. I think he's been quite a while at this level and he was just given the tools that allowed him to express himself in the way we saw. Um, and really, because the nature of the season was so different, he didn't have... Uh, intense rivalry like he had with Lewis Hamilton. And I think it's, you know, with, with Leclerc, it was very clear there was a different kind of approach to racing uh, against the Ferrari guy. And it, it just seemed um, uh, only at the end of the season when we got to Brazil and we saw the collision between him and Hamilton, it was that, it, it was a return to what we saw in 2021. And the season kind of lacked that, uh, that edge um, because of Hamilton not being in there contending with Max. I think that's a, a fascinating rivalry, that one. Um, Leclerc, you know, he, he just doesn't, he's just too nice a guy, I think. And he's, mm-hmm. they know each other so long and they're, they're, you know, they're peers, whereas Lewis is a much older generation. He's the target that Max has aims, aims at. And I think, I think personally, I think Max drives differently against Lewis than he does against anyone else. But uh, Mark, you, you may disagree with that. No, I don't. I think you saw it as early as Bahrain, the first race, where they were passing and repassing, Verstappen and Leclerc, that is. Um, and Max was giving them room. And it, that's just not how he races, Lewis. And <laughs> it, it's a difficult one because, you know, we, we talked about this in 21, I'm sure, but Lewis sometimes gives them room and sometimes thinks no. And I think Brazil was one of those occasions where I know what you're trying to do and you're not going to do it. And Max was saying, I know what you're going to do and I'm coming through anyway. And they're both entitled to do that. They're both racing drivers. And that's, that's I don't think there's any blame there. It's choice there. And it's maybe not the wisest of choices that each of them makes, but that's just racing. And you can play it however you want to play it against one opposition. You can play it differently against a, a, a different opponent. Um, but I do think that... Uh, Lewis was, it was the first time he's had to go wheel to wheel this season against Max. It was a reprise of 21. And I do think because it didn't really matter, he was determined to lay a marker down for next year. So just saying, no, he's still, the answer's still no. <laughs> Max is saying, I'm, you know, it's it's still Lewis Hamilton. So there's still that, um, yeah, it, it is, it's a target. It's, it's, a, it's a marker. It means, it, it means something that he's been recognised as the the number one and he's the, the record holder and all th- those things, I think, mean something to Max because he'll for sure feel he's the, the best driver out there and he wants to prove it and keep proving it. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, that that's it, 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 I do agree that he does race differently, Lewis, to, to others. Well, just to follow up on something Damien said, though, about Max's season this year, do you think that Max went up a level at all or were the circumstances around the car he had and the driver that was his main competitor early on, meaning that actually he didn't need to go up a level to perform in the way he did? Yeah, I don't think his, um, his peaks are any higher than they've ever been, but I think um, he understood the, the, the level of competitiveness, competitiveness of the car that he had, particularly in the latter half of the season, that um, there were occasions where you might have seen the old Max force an issue where he didn't this this season and he still had the confidence to know that you know it, it didn't have to be this lap it could be the next lap it could be the next race <laughs> it's it, you know um he had such a, a margin you know we saw in where was it uh spa mm-hmm. where he's 14th or 15th on the grid 
you just knew he was going to win that race. It didn't make any difference where he was starting from. He's, he had so much margin. Um, and a third of the way through, he was leading and pulling away. And it was, you know, when you've got that sort of margin, it's, um, you know, it's easier to take a, a big picture. And I, I think that just added to his, you know, he, 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 the, 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 the experience in, in, in the background, not necessarily informing them um, of the, of the moment, but it's just the stuff that's in there that, that does actually probably contribute to how you deal with any specific split second situation. That spa race was remarkable, as you say. If I recall it correctly, it was lap 12 that he hit the front, having started that far back, and he won by nearly 18 seconds. Uh, mm. So it was, it was roughly a second a lap over everyone, including his teammate, Sergio Perez. But that was also the point that Charles Leclerc says he really finally let the championship go. Even though he was a long way behind, it was like that was the one where it was like they are just on a, for the first time, he said, Red Bull were untouchable for Ferrari. If Ferrari got everything perfect, they weren't getting anywhere near Red Bull that weekend. Now, how do we view the Ferrari season uh, in that kind of context? Because as you said already, Tabs, that they, they started so strongly and were the main challenger. But I guess then, Damien, I'll, I'll start with you on the question. Uh, given where they came from in 2021, but the promise that the first part of the season showed, is it a step forward for Ferrari this year? Is it disappointing? How should we really describe it? Yeah, it's a good point. The perspective here is quite interesting because, yeah, if you compare to where they've come from in previous years and the, how poor they've been for so long, this was a marked success. Um, but what an opportunity missed, surely, this season. Given the the the, the pace of the car at the start of the year, how strong Leclerc was and that, that early gap that he opened up uh, with two wins out of the first three races, um, to, to for it to fall away so badly and so cringeworthingly as well it was you know the 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 strategy problems the mistakes that he made himself as well um it just got into this sort of spiral of um that seemed to affect the confidence of the team um and you, you heard those radio calls where they were asking the drivers for their opinion on on strategy um which you know it's good to have a have a have a um you know an, an element of discussion with the driver but it seemed like they were almost uh, rudderless by the by the middle of the year and they really seem to lose their way quite badly and you know there's now speculation about what happens to Mattia Bonotto and whether he should carry the can and I know Mark you've written about uh, if he goes it's like a Premier League football sort of situation where the manager you know it's a results driven business the manager p pays the price when results don't go their way and you know should should Ferrari take a slightly longer term view that this is a good man with great experience who's a good leader um but the fact is they have failed they have failed this year really because they you know he should have taken at least Verstappen into the autumn in terms of a, a battle for the title given the strength that they had in, uh, in an engineering capacity and in, in design capacity well one thing we saw from Leclerc as well early on was uh no errors in the first few races because he himself said, I don't need to push the car beyond its limits to be able to win races. I've got a car that lets me. Whereas in the past few years, yes, mistakes have been there, but because I've had to overdrive to try and get sixth, fifth, fourth. But that changed pretty quickly as well, didn't it? The pressure of a title fight, Mark, that went from uh, those errors started to creep in pretty quickly and helped turn the tide very quickly in Rebels' favour. So was that Ferrari's failings hurting Leclerc, or do you think Leclerc actually didn't handle the whole situation very well himself either? No, I think um, it was it was mainly initiated by 
Ferrari and I think Leclerc was just you know, pushing like crazy as as the the car fell behind. Um, but he, the the problems really began with the power unit failures, um, so Barcelona particularly, and uh, subsequently Baku, and then the um, the the strategy errors, the the glaring ones were Monaco and Silverstone. Oh, Silverstone at least um, it science was there to pick up the 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 baton rather than Red Bull as happened in Monaco, but yeah, I think. They set themselves by having such a fast car from the off. They made things very difficult for themselves when they did subsequently slide down. And you know the the reasonable expectation of Ferrari coming into the season was that they would be competitive and win a few races. And that's exactly what they did. It's just that they were far more competitive than anyone w- was expecting in the first half of the season. Um, and then it slid in the second half. And why did it slide in the second half? It wasn't that the car got any slower. It was that the Red Bull continued to get quicker and quicker and quicker, not just because it had a very productive aero program, but also because it was taking weight out of it all the time. It was grossly overweight at the start of the year, something like 25 kilos. So there's six-tenths of a second straight away. That If you can get that off, you're going to be way ahead of the Ferrari. And they were by the time they did get it off. So, um, yeah. For to Ferrari's credit, they turned up with a car that was ready to fly from the from the off. Um, they were then struck with reliability problems, and because it's Ferrari, the spotlight's on you, and then the pressure errors start coming and coming. But there's something clearly not um, fundamentally right within how decisions are taken there in the field on it at, at the track. And it's not a new problem. It, it, it's been there for, for years. You remember Fernando Alonso essentially dictating strategy from the car. You remember Sebastian Vettel doing it, you know. Um, I remember once um, they, they called Fernando in, I think it was Hockenheim somewhere, and he said, uh, why are we coming in now? And they said, for the undercut. And he said, um, uh, the next guy's six seconds up the road. How are we going to undercut him? So, oh, yeah, stay out. You know? <laughs> but these, they're, they're such they're such basic things that they can't just be because somebody hasn't understood something. It can only be because they're overloaded in the moment with too many things coming at them. That, that, that it's, it's not feasible that these are just failures of understanding because some of them are so obvious. Um, there's, there's got to be something fundamentally wrong with the environment there. And that's that's been there for years. And that's something that Benotto hasn't been able to um, put right in his time there. Um, whereas he has put right the lack of creativity and the the, the sort of following the, the the trend of last year's car and just making it you know, so you're always half a step behind. He has put that right, and I would say that's the, the the really difficult bit, the creative bit, and he's fixed the creative bits, and that's remarkable. Um, but the underlying culture bit is still there, and that's ultimately why he's um, he, he's going to be made the the scapegoat. And uh, rather than, you know, supporting him and saying, what is it about it? What, what, what? And, and helping helping him put it right, um, they, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll say, right, next. And that guy will be there and, you know, if he's really good, he'll be there for a while, but he will ultimately be fired. And if he's not very good, he'll not be there for very long before he's fired. That's just how it is. Until um, the culture above the team changes, 
same thing's going to keep happening. And the only time it hasn't been structured like that was in the John Todd Ross Braun era. And look what happened. It became the greatest team that had ever been seen in F1 up to that time. Before then, it massively underdelivered on its potential. After then, it massively underdelivered on its potential. Why did you, the correlation there, and I can't help thinking it's causation also. Damien, I thought you had a, an extra point there that while Tabs was well, mid-flow. <laughs> I, I was just thinking on this point, you know, Mark, it, 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 um, like presumably they've got the best people they've got in the right roles. They wouldn't they wouldn't think otherwise, would they? they wouldn't, why would they do anything else? So is it a case of having to recruit? Do you think they have to recruit not only a leader uh, who maybe could come in above Bonotto, maybe free him up, maybe he should remain in his uh, in a technical role, um, but bring in someone above him to sort of manage the, the the overall strategy of the of the of the, of the team and the company. Um, what do you think? What is it recruitment? I, I think part of the problem is that Benotto is a product of Ferrari. He's been there since he graduated from university, and is an employee. And you cannot do that job as an employee. You've got to be the boss. And that's what Ross and John Todd were. And they formed this, I've written about it before, they formed this force field around them. Those two and Michael Schumacher, they just formed force field around them, knowing that they were the best at their jobs in the field and just said, leave us alone. Tell us the budget, leave us alone. And if anybody tried to get in between the three of them, the others closed rank and they couldn't. Nobody could get in. As soon as that was broken up, it started to fall apart. The thing is, there's, there's very few people in the paddock currently any team with that kind of authority who could come in and do that that role i mean fred vasseur is what people are talking about but is yeah. he really the the guy to no, do that role i think he'd be another employee it's yeah. not so much who the person is it's how they are empowered once they're there and i don't think they that realization has hit those the the, the people above mm. the team principal role i don't think that realization is there because if they do accept that, then they accept it's their fault. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Well, but if you had someone, just for argument's sake, if you had someone like Christian Horner uh, come into Red uh, into Ferrari, it would, it, 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 it would have to be empowered in the same way that John and Ross made themselves empowered. Um, if he came in as an employee, it would make not the slightest bit of difference. Hmm. But that that's would be my, the, that's my view. That would be the thing that he would have to um, come in on the terms of and say, yep. "You've got to give Absolutely. me full." Full power yeah. to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it answers our question in a sense, though, that we kind of see this as a failure from Ferrari, but maybe not Bonotto's fault or the team's direct fault uh, this year that we're having these discussions. Because the flip side is we haven't really talked in depth yet as a team about Mercedes. Now, where they started 2022 was remarkable in terms of how far off they were compared to Red Bull and Ferrari. And okay. The season definitely got better, but there was no question there of Toto's position or technical director's position or, or any other senior leadership position uh, being under question because they delivered such a bad car. So is that a culture thing that we're seeing there too? And did we see the Mercedes strength of culture come through by the fact that by the penultimate race of the season, they were getting a one-two? Absolutely. That is the culture. It's it's ownership of a problem. It's It's, it's total ownership of the problem by everyone. And without picking out who's at fault, it, 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 there isn't necessarily blame. It's it's about how did this happen, and it's not not that it, it's your fault or it's your fault. It's just just how did this happen? How do we and how do we put it right? Not 
right, let's get somebody else. Let's, it's, it's, it, yes, it's absolutely that. It's, it's a cultural thing. And Damien, what did you make of the way the Mercedes season panned out? Because I imagine, uh, if you're anything like me, you saw the start of that uh, sort of pre-season testing and then the first race and thought, this isn't right and this can't last for very long. Uh, but it did last a long time that we were watching Mercedes be at best third quickest, but quite often really struggling to uh, even get get clear of the midfield. Yeah, I mean, I think like most people, I assumed that Mercedes would nail these new regulations this year. Would they'd pick up from where they'd left off in you know throughout this hybrid era, um, and so it was a major surprise they didn't. And I think the fact that they didn't make the quick progress that maybe we expected was, um, I think, the budget cap actually at work here. That actually the uh, they couldn't just throw money at it because um, they weren't allowed to anymore, uh, and. Um, I think that's where the the real interest in the in the budget cap for me beyond the uh, the the Red Bull kind of almost red herring situation of, of the overspend. Um, it it does you know you've you've got what you've got at the beginning of a season much more now than in, in previous years. Um, but as as Mark says, the the culture of Mercedes is so so much more refreshing and so much um, more positive. I, I think there's more chance of them responding. To the problems they've had over the course of this year, learning from their mistakes and, and and bouncing back next year. Whereas with Ferrari, you can't really see a fix. You can't see how they're going to get out of this um, uh, this this problem that they've got. Well, do we give a tip of the cap to the two drivers, Mark, as well at Mercedes in the way that they responded to the challenge? Because certainly, if you're Lewis Hamilton after the way last year ended as well, you must have been chomping at the bit to sort of fight back, and you didn't get that opportunity with the car that you had. Yeah, I think he's, he's, that must have been like a real kick in the gut because he'll have come in there absolutely, you know, so, so motivated to bounce back from Abu Dhabi 21 and to find that he hasn't got the equipment with which to do it must have been very, very tough. And it, I'm, I'm sure it took a, a while, a few races at least, for him to get his head properly around that. Um, but he did. Um and I think also they um, Russell's just slotted in there perfectly. He's not. He didn't come in there as a, a support driver. He came in there as you know an equal number one. And the possible future of the team and for for the day when Lewis retired is it's a succession plan. And he's absolutely shown that he's he's worthy of our role. And he's done it without any real friction. Um, he's just you know supported. Been supported and and supported any, any decisions that have been made, and it's pretty frictionless with with Lewis, and he's delivered a, a comparable level of performance over the season. Well, dare I say it? Then have we seen a stronger Mercedes this year in terms of their potential with their driver lineup and with the way they did start to improve the car through the year for moving forward? Is this a team that very much will be expected to be winning races and championships again in the coming years with the current setup? Or did we see signs of weakness that say, actually, they still they need to address some issues to be able to get to the level that Red Bull delivered this year? I think they're, um, the, the, the car-specific problems um, were entirely to do with the new regulations and some of the decisions made without the foreknowledge of the, uh, the bouncing and aerodynamic bouncing problems. Um, sort of stuck them in a corner they were unable to get themselves out of and especially because of as what um, Damien referenced with the cost cap um, because it would have been major re-engineering um, so I think 
now that that specific shortfall has been understood, it's a very specific technical um, problem with with the car that is now well understood. I don't think there's any reason to go into twenty three uh, not expecting to be absolutely you know fighting for titles again. But obviously, Red Bull have got a, a head start, so I think we'll we, we will see them back in contention and I don't think there's any long-term reason I don't I don't see any worrying issue there I think it's just a specific technical issue that's tripped them up that they've then been unable to correct because of the cost cap well, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is Russell versus Hamilton in a properly competitive Mercedes because although George you know he had a brilliant first season at the team and he he outscored Lewis over the course of the year and we can talk about the you know the the, um, the strengths and weaknesses of both, but um, it doesn't really count for me until they're both winning races, and then we really see what they're made of um, together, and as a as a as a combination in terms of their relationship, and whether there'll be a bit of um, a bit more angst between them once once it actually counts for victories rather than third and fourth place. Um, so I'm hoping that's what we get next year, and we'll we'll really find out George Russell versus Lewis Hamilton what it's all about. Well, I guess the reason they weren't winning races this year was the car they were given because of the new regulations. And with Ground Effect making a comeback, Damien, I know you were uh, kind of surprised that teams were surprised uh, by porpoising becoming a phenomenon. Well, I guess we're so used to Formula 1 people being uber clever and, you know, not making obvious errors and it seems um i just wonder if there's an inherent arrogance in in modern formula one not to actually think about the past a bit more and actually think that there's some lessons to be learned um because you know so many teams were, were caught out by this this ground effects uh, uh technology and you know is there a is it a coincidence that the two teams with someone with experience i.e adrian newey at red bull and and Rory Burns still working in the background at Ferrari um, with with experience of ground effects. Those two teams, you know, suffered much less um, with the porpoising problem. Um, you know, why didn't they contact some, you know, someone at Mercedes? Contact Peter Wright or Frank Durney or all these engineers who are you know uh, are old men now, but they've still got experience that actually relates directly to it. I was talking to someone the other day, Peter Riches, who's just retired from the BTCC as technical director. He was at Team Lotus. Uh, when the Lotus 80 came out um, uh, in in 79. And, um, you know, he remembers porpoising and the the troubles they had back then. Um, As you say, it's not a new thing. And I I just wonder what what actually both your perspectives are on this, whether, whether, um, you know, there could have been lessons learned easily from the past that um, F1 people didn't even think to, 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 to call someone. Well, I think, yeah, Formula One, has but by nature is always moving forward and leaving the past well behind. Um, but this is the first time that we've reverted to a more advanced technology, if you see what I mean. Ground effect was more advanced than what subsequently came because it was it was legislated out of existence. So the cars which followed were in uh, in quite a fundamental way aerodynamically less advanced than the cars of the late 70s, early 80s. And all the people that worked on those cars are no longer <laughs> in, in, in the team. So, um, yeah, it's it's you've got this culture of always going forward. We've got we've learned everything we've got to learn from the past and we just build on it and build on it. And to suddenly 
um, be in a situation where you might have actually had to go back into the past to learn about this new, more advanced technology is um, the first time that's ever happened. Mm. I, I personally love the way that it was the approval almost to go, okay, there was there was trouble with this. It was too dangerous or it was going to go too far. So it got banned. But now people are going, okay, well then harness it. Like do it safely, do it differently, but go and go and harness that. The thing that we did sort of lock away in a box and say, no, no, don't touch it. Formula One was now going, go on, open the box and see what you can do. <laughs> I liked that attitude to it. But as you say, Damien, I was surprised that that the people that had originally put it in the box weren't around to say or weren't asked to say, well, what did you learn from that? Because um, there is also the flip side. If we do look at, at who works where in Formula One teams, it, it tends to be people that have been around a long time around the sport that rise to the top in technical capacities. Uh, you don't find someone who's just, or it's more rare that someone's just brought in from outside Formula One uh, to, to head up a technical team at the very least. I know I you know could argue that um, maybe more recently Williams sort of did that, but most teams, it's you're, you're going with people that have been around the sport for a long time. Now, surely that should mean a disconnect isn't that great to go back a bit further and go, well, who do you know that might have worked on this? Uh, that's that's what surprised me. Yes, I, I don't think that mentality is there for some reason, but it's. I, I spoke to uh, Rory Byrne a couple of years ago during the pandemic. I, I managed to get hold of him on the phone, and he was he was actually in Thailand where he spends a lot of his time. Um, and he, at the time I spoke to him, he was he was um, in a hotel room um, and was was going to be there for for two weeks before he was allowed out. Um, so he had plenty of time to talk. But he was saying, you know, he's still seventy eight years old now. Um, he's still active. He's still working behind the scenes. I don't know how much, but he was telling me that he plays a couple of rounds of golf in the morning, or a couple of holes of golf in the morning, not a full round. Um, when Italy wakes up, he's at work and he's still, you know, still working away. And he's got that experience from from Tolman and some, some not very good ground effects Tolmans from the early eighties. Um, I'm I'm convinced um, that that has an influence and that has a has an effect and a positive one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Now, that was a problem of these new rules, but let's try and be maybe slightly more positive about it. Uh, Tabs, in general with these new cars, this was a huge change, a massive change compared to everything we'd seen with previous generations of Formula One car. Did the new rules deliver as intended, or at least close to as intended, uh, in your view? It didn't deliver fully, but it, they definitely improved things. Um, and I think the number of passes is something 25 or 30% more. Um, you could see quite clearly that the cars could follow closer um, and for longer. Um, so, yes, it, it definitely improved things, but there's still further to go. 
and it still, I think, would be helped enormously by more robust tyres, and because that that ends up inevitably becoming the limitation. But aerodynamically, I think it did much of what it was intended to do. Yeah. And and did the tyres provide that step forward though as well? In a sense, that was that progress, or did you see Pirelli not make enough of a step? And actually, that's a bit of a worry. There was a bit of a step in terms of um, they didn't turn to junk within you know two corners of following closely. You you, you could follow close close for longer than that, but um, they yeah they still need further improvement, and they're doing a new front tire for next year. So let's hope that um, that that brings that improvement. But yeah, it it, it it's still ultimately tire limited, and, um, so that's a sort of. Uh, it's a fundamental um, that Formula One has chosen to do to 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 go with a, a control tire supplier. So um, yeah, you you make it quite difficult for yourself to solve this problem um, like that because I'm sure there would be a tire solution if there was a tire war, and I still don't see why you can't have a tire war within a cost cap environment. It would be uh, it would be entertaining to see Formula One go in that direction. I I guess we could say though that at times when the tires were challenging that provided an avenue for an exciting race with strategy and when they weren't a challenge then that provided the opportunity for close hard racing between these new generations of cars as well so we did get some great races through the season and uh, listeners you can vote for your favorite race actually on the motorsport magazine website as part of the end of season awards so head over there when you're done listening to us or if you're double screening you can do it right now uh, to vote for yours but uh, damien De- do any races stand out to you as as particular highlights this season where you thought either it was great racing or Formula One at its best for, for a spell? Silverstone was special, wasn't it? I think, um, you know, not just because it's the British Grand Prix either, we're a British magazine. I think it was a, it was a great race. Um, as an example of a circuit that allowed the cars and the drivers to express themselves as we, uh, we'd like to see uh, regularly. And I, I, that was, for me, was the, was the highlight. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the rules in, in general were a positive um they were better it's a shame they're so heavy but that's because of the hybrid engine regulations and that's got to be the way forward that we can't go backwards on that so the the weight thing's always going to be there now uh and i i kind of agree with mark really on the on the on the tires being the um the, the main focus and it it, it seems a, sh- a shame that um um i don't know it, to me it seems out of step with the rest of the world that formula one teams can use two or three sets of tyres for a, an hour and a half Grand Prix and just throw them away. That, that, that doesn't seem to be the right um, messaging, um, if you want to use that term, uh, in terms of uh, where the world is right now. That's That seems to be quite a fundamental mistake, I think. Well, Tabs, do you think that, A, that should change and be off the back of that uh, from a, a race perspective, were there any highlights that you can recall from this season? Um, in, in terms of the Tire equation, it's a very difficult one because I think um, in order to have good racing, you've got to have um, tires which got provide a lot of mechanical grip. And if you do that, then the wear rate is high. And then you, you're going to go through more than one set of race. Uh, if you give them wooden tires, you know, the, the, there's not much there's, there's not much you're going to be able to do with it in, in, in terms of racing. It's, it's going to be a strategy battle. But um yeah, I mean there were some great races. Um, the, the the opening too in Bahrain and Jeddah I thought were terrific. Those those fights between um, Verstappen and Leclerc, uh, and you know the, the each each playing the 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 DRS game very cleverly. Um, and yeah, terrific. 
Um, I thought there was uh, the, the strategic intrigue of Monaco was great. I thought Montreal was science chasing Verstappen and Verstappen having to be very clever with how he used his battery. There were, there were some great races. Um, yeah, yeah. I think before we we then got to the point of um, you know total performance onslaught by Red Bull in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, it was a lot of good races. Yeah, you, you've mentioned a few there that do make the shortlist for everyone who does go to the website to have a vote. One thing that we were actually lacking was shock results elsewhere in terms of podiums or wins compared to 2021, because Imola was the only race we had a midfield podium. Uh, and that came for Lando Norris and McLaren. But it was Alpine that won that sort of inter-team battle between the two for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Now, we really shouldn't overlook Alpine's performances, should we, this year? I know the off-track stuff through the summer threatens to overshadow that, but there was some pretty impressive pace at times uh, from Alpine and, and Fernando Alonso in particular until his engine quite often let him down. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Alpine have taken a step forward. Um, it's albeit, uh, you know, a belated one. We've been waiting for this for a, for a while, but yeah, I think they were very um, consistently competitive this year and a little bit iffy reliability, especially on Fernando's car. But yeah, I mean, it, the, that fourth place is on merit of performance. It was overall a better car than the McLaren. And sometimes the McLaren got ahead of it, but that was largely la- thanks to some spectacular Lando Norris laps in qualifying. And as uh, the underlying performance of the two cars, the Alpine was the better car. Uh, just a little bit less reliable. And um, yeah, it had a little bit of a little bit of in, in, in fighting at the, at the end of the season. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think genuine progress for Alpine, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that continue. And I, I have to say that we hear the phrase levelling up a lot in the UK these days, and uh, this was supposed to be the season where Formula One levelled up, wasn't it, with these new regulations, and that the, the midfield teams, the, the Alpines and the McLarens, had a genuine opportunity to to rise into the level of a, a regular race winner, and that, that obviously didn't happen, and as much as Alpine made progress, they were hundreds of points off Mercedes, who apparently had a bad season. You know, in in their in their uh, in terms of uh, relatively anyway. Um, and it does just sort of make me wonder, really, where Alpine and McLaren go next, really, because are they ever actually going to achieve or reach the level that um, their boards will expect them to? Yeah, I think you've got to wait a while for the, the you know, because the other the, the the teams that have invested heavily in the past before the cost caps came in are still going to have the momentum of that superior facilities and and people, you know, the 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 the, the level of expertise in the the personnel. But as that all, you know, hopefully you see the leveling um, over a period of years, and you with the, with the, the you know, the wind tunnel time reduction for where, where success is penalised on that. Um, let's see that play out for a while. I think it's too early to judge it after one year. But yeah, it is, it is still a, a troublingly big gap at the um, end of a thick end of a second between Red Bull and the, the best of the rest. Yeah, and if we do look at the gap from Alpine to Mercedes in terms of points, as you just mentioned, Damien, it was three hundred and forty-two points in the championship, which is is enormous. Uh, Alpine and McLaren were the only two to break a hundred. Uh, 173 for Alpine, 159 for McLaren, uh, of which the vast majority, uh, in fact, 122 of those points came from Lando Norris. Now, is this the biggest surprise, disappointment, shock of the season? 
Daniel Ricciardo's form and and lack of ability to get his head round that McLaren? Uh, well, it was a continuation of a theme from the previous era, wasn't it? He, you know, he didn't. Um, it, although he won at Monza, uh, you know, last year, he he never really got on top of that car either. And um, it's just a sort of rather dispiriting kind of spiral of performance, isn't it? Over over the course of um, his time at McLaren. And they had no option, I don't think, really, than to release him. And I, I know there's been comments sort of saying we we don't blame him for the fact we didn't beat Alpine to the uh, the fourth position. But fact is, if he if he performed anywhere near Lando Norris across the course of the year, they probably you know they would have had a much better chance of doing so. So um, yeah, I think just a, a very sad decline of someone who has graced all along with a lot of character. Um, a lot of speed, particularly in his Red Bull days, um, and obviously a great overtaker. Um, but I think his time's up. Well, Tabs, you're brilliant at kind of looking at how a driver matches with a car sometimes and, and certainly their styles fitting or not fitting. Is his time up? Or do you think that there's still an opportunity for the old Daniel Ricciardo to resurface in Formula One? I think the problem is the damage may have been done, you know, in, in terms of in his own mind, yes, he, he was. It, it did mesh badly. That the, the traits of that car and and the previous year's McLaren did not mesh at all with how he likes to drive a car. And it would be interesting to see and you know, put him in a in a Red Bull on a on a test day um, with a car with a great front end. And it, does it suddenly just switch back to the old Daniel? I, I'd be surprised. I mean, it'd be nice if it happened, but I I really would be surprised. I think. Um, I think that takes a psychological toll that would take a, an immense amount to to come back fully from, and it's also the problem of perception. If you're ever going to get that um, opportunity as well, he's, he's he's perceived now for sure as, as damaged goods, and you know, they stuck with it for a long time. Two two full seasons of underperforming is 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 a long time. Um, so yeah. My my feeling is Damien, Damien's right that that is that we have seen the last of them. Well, sadly, yeah, it certainly would be sad if that is the way it ends. And Daniel himself has clearly taken himself out of the environment to try and get a reset that he feels he needs, uh, and that the the downward spiral that you're speaking about, Damien, that it was almost impossible for him to turn around. He thinks the only way to do that is to have a clean break. But he finished the season level on points with Sebastian Vettel, who made the choice to fully walk away this year. But there were also flashes, more flashes from Vettel, I'd say, of the old Vettel at times. Some of his racecraft, some of his performances. Did Question to you, Damien, it really is, did he walk away too soon, in your view? I don't think so. I, I think um, even though there were flashes of the old Vettel this year, but most of the flashes were towards the end of the year when he'd made a decision. I, I felt that it was almost maybe the shackles were off, the, there was a bit more freedom um, uh uh, and he knew that the countdown was on. So um, I think that might be an element. But no, I think Sebastian Vettel was fantastic all-time world champion, but it was a long time ago. And I think his time's been up for a while, to be honest with you. Um, and I think he's got an awful lot to offer as a, as a, as a person. Um, and I'm fascinated to see what he does next. I've, I've been, um, you know, he he kind of summed up for me, I think what a lot of us might feel about modern motorsport and, and Formula One in particular in the last two years. He, he talked about this uh, length. And when, when he was on Question Time on the BBC early in the year, you know, he was asked directly, are you a hypocrite? And he said, yes. He just admitted he is. And 
I, you know, I think we all feel a bit of this that um, you know he's got uh, a real conviction about climate change, and yet he loves racing cars and, and doing what we all love. And um, yeah, I think I think his time's gone up, and I think it's the right time for him to move on. And I just can't wait to see what he does next. How about you, Mark? Because there were some flashes. I I was probably leaning more towards the exact answer Damien's just given until the final few laps at Cota and that battle with Kevin Magnussen that was just, even though it was over, what, seventh place at the time, it was brilliant to watch. And that's when you just see those those skills yeah. that made him a, a top world-class driver. Yeah, you just saw the gloves off real Seb there for a moment. And also his qualifying lap in Q2 that got him into Q3 at uh, Abu Dhabi, the final race, was extraordinary, and um, his engineer was saying that's one of the best laps he's ever seen any driver do. And but Seb used to do laps like that all the time. That's the point, and mm. he's he just turn those laps in on demand, and it, it's become steadily less consistent over the years. And I think, um, yeah, that might be that might be a physical dimming of the skills, or it might just be the lack of um, full commitment inside your own head to what you're doing but he, he still has access to it sometimes but can't turn it on on demand so yeah g- given that it's it's probably the right time to go but just briefly then because we could do a whole podcast on this topic but uh how good was sebastian vettel how should we reflect on on him as one of formula one's greats do we put him in that kind of like top echelon of greats it's difficult because in the cars that he was driving i, I don't think there would have been Many could have reached the level of performance that he he reached in the in particularly in the blown diffuser cars. He had a way of they were very counterintuitive cars to drive, and he had a way of doing it that I think um, most others, even even some some great drivers, would have struggled to have matched. Um, but it was a very pointy peak, and I think if he doesn't have everything exactly um, as as he needs it. Um, the, the, the drop off is, is quite is bigger than it would be for some other drivers like a Fernando Alonso or a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen. So it's just different. And if he was, um, you know, a filmmaker and you only he threw away or a writer and he just threw away his, his, his less satisfactory things and the world never got to see it, you only saw his good stuff in the yeah, absolutely one of the one of the greats. But if you have to be measured. Um, you know, along every performance that you put in, every bit of work that you do, then just a little step off to some of the all-time greats, but still a very great driver. Yeah, how about you, Damien? Where do you rank Seb? Yeah, I think, as Mark says, his his peaks were as high as we've seen from anyone, I think, um, during those years um, at Red Bull between 2010 and 13. Um, but for me, if, you, if you're judging, F1 careers are so long these days, compared to how they used to be. And there was just too much drop-off for too many years. And I think it's interesting when you compare him around the, the kind of people who've got the same similar sort of stats in, in terms of titles. Um, they all seem to push ahead of him, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I, he deserves massive respect. And I think, and the way, uh, as I say, the way he's handled himself as a champion, I think, for me, is, as is... Um, as is important as as the on track performances, um, he is a uh, he's a great man, that's for sure, uh, and he was a great champion for for a while. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good way of putting it. And 
obviously he would have been expecting more from this year, I think, in terms of when he joined Aston Martin for that project, that this season could be one that that was a team that could have threatened further near the front. And in the end, Aston lost out on sixth overall to Alfa Romeo, um, where admittedly that was a strong Alfa Romeo team. Uh, it had the only rookie in it, in Zhou Guanyu. Uh, now, best rookie isn't a category that fans can vote for, by the way, uh, when we talk about the end of season awards. But the uh, the categories you can vote for are best race, best, best track, best driver, best team and best overtake, uh, of which uh, Seb and Kevin's fight is in there for that last part. But um, yeah, the, the rookie was was solidified as it was always going to be Zhou Guan Yu as the best rookie, but he had a solid season. What I loved, though, was the new lease of life that Valtteri Bottas seemed to get at Alfa Romeo. And isn't it so refreshing when you do see a driver go into a new environment and just, I think, seem to enjoy it more? And that then translates into better results. I mean, um, Mark, what did you make of kind of seeing Bottas go from Hamilton's wingman essentially and taking a bit of a pummeling at times at Mercedes to leading a team that no one was really expecting to be quite that strong I think this season yeah it was refreshing and you saw him sort of visibly relax you know he just you just sort of needed to look at him in the paddock and see the look on his face and the way he was walking um and he, you know he grew his hair and he looked a bit more grungy and it just seemed more at ease for himself in his own skin. And uh, yeah, they, they, they did look to him um, for, for, for a lead, you know, and I think he responded to that and was very happy in that environment. And the car was good. It was the only car that was on the weight limit at the start of the season. So there was a big performance advantage um, over the other midfield teams um, because of that. And, you know, gradually that was eroded away as the other teams sort of took weight out of their cars. So you, you can't take any more out when you're already on the limit. Um, but it was, yeah, it was it was a handy little car. It wasn't operationally a very good team. There were too, too, too many strategy errors, too many reliability problems, um, sort of a bit like Ferrari, but further down the grid. Um, but it was, yeah, it, it, he did a good job. And I think um, he played a good um, sort of mentor role with um, Joe Kwan Yu as well and uh, there was you may have heard the can't remember which circuit it was at maybe Mexico where he was on the on the radio saying tell Joe to attack him into turn because that's where the, where the other guy's weak he's just you know he just seemed very very relaxed and um, performing well yeah, that was Brazil and Nicholas Latifi, I think. Um, that's that, right. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, Valtteri was giving that coaching from just behind in the queue. <laughs> yes. But um, what that does say also was that at that point, Valtteri was behind Joe in that race. And Damien, what did you make of the one rookie on the grid this season? I think there was a lot of people weren't really expecting a huge amount from Joe Guan Yu, But um, from my perspective, I thought he probably exceeded those uh, low expectations quite comfortably. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he acquitted himself very well. Um it was hard to know what to expect from him in that car um, and in that team. And I think you know, you have to look at who he was up against in in, in Bottas. And um, in, in that regard, I think he did extremely well. And he certainly deserves a longer shot at, at it. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that he's back for next year. Yeah, he's, he's certainly earned that chance. And uh, as we've alluded to, with Ferrari and reliability issues, I mean, the three Ferrari-powered teams all struggled with reliability issues all season. And I I believe the, it t- the total of grid penalties was nearly 150 grid places across the three teams compared to, I believe, if I'm remembering the stats right off the top of my head, eight grid places in total across the four Mercedes-powered teams in the mm. season. So uh, it does show how much some of these teams were hurt. And another one of those that maybe were hurt in that same way was Haas because they scraped over the line at the final race 
as well for eighth place overall. But what a story that was at the start of the season. I am asking you both to cast your minds a long way back, but Kevin Magnuson returning out of nowhere and then finishing fifth in Bahrain. I mean, Tabs, was that maybe one of the feel-good stories of the season? Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, Kevin was, um, you, you, we talked about the, the, the difference in um, the, the, the of a Valtteri, um, but I think it was um, times 10 for Kevin when he came back. He was just so pleased to be back and in a properly competitive car, you know, within, not, not fully competitive, but, you know, a car in which he could fight. Um, and the last time he'd been in the car, of course, it was to Mide at the back. And yeah, I mean, he, he can, he can deliver and he, he he, he did, and we saw it again in Brazil. That little opportunity in uh, the, in, in Q three, the only dry little dry window, and he just nailed the lap. Um, yeah, it was it was great. It was great to see, and um, it was nice to see Haas back because you worried that after two years, you know, of virtually zero investment and just just treading water deliberately, not putting any money in until the new formula came on song. You worried if that would have just damaged the team, but it didn't. It was sort of back to where it used to be. Um, you know, capable on a good day of being the best of the midfield. And um, I think it was, uh, you know, I think it was a good platform to build on there. Yeah, it was, it was a team that was largely led by Magnussen's results at the start of the season, and he ended up with 25 points to his name. But Mick Schumacher did have a couple of races in the middle there uh, around mm-hmm. Silverstone and Austria that stood out as impressive. But he couldn't put it all together. So, Damien, you know, are you sad to see him lose his drive, especially to Nico Hulkenberg, who's obviously been around the sport for a long time? Or do you understand the Haas decision to go with more experience from next year? I think with Mick Schumacher, he's had a pretty good crack at it. And I, I don't think he did enough to keep the drive. And um, the choice of Nico Hulkenberg is a conservative one. Uh, it's a known quantity. Um, but when you're in a, a team like Haas, Conservative is probably the sensible way to go. Um, it's not particularly exciting, I don't think, to see Hulkenberg come back. He's he's kind of had plenty of chances himself in his career, but uh, yeah, I don't think Mick really did enough. I think um, he might be better served pursuing uh, his motorsport elsewhere. Um, you know, there's there's a whole wide world out there, as as the likes of Fernando Alonso knows and Kevin Magnussen knows. I mean, this year, start of the year, he was looking at a comfortable life racing IMSA in the states and a Peugeot in the World Endurance Championship. And all those things will still be there for him probably in a couple of years' time, when, whenever his F1 career does finally finish. Um, but I, I, I don't think Schumacher's quite the calibre myself. I think we did see uh, the flashes that showed why he was getting the chances to prove himself in Formula 1. Uh, certainly uh, that Austria weekend, he was very, very strong. But uh, by that point, I think he did need to start to put some consistency together and certainly iron out some of those accidents in a cost cap era uh so mark do you kind of see that Haas have gone the right way with that as well because uh it's as as damien said it's not the most inspiring driver change that we've seen uh at the end of this year yeah i get why they've done it they, they, you know they, i think they just sort of lost faith a bit with Mick because there wasn't a curve of improvement there were just these random Good races, good performances over a weekend. Canada was good until the car broke. Um, and yeah, as you say, Silverstone and Austria, but then it fall off again. And then, you know, then he might out qualify Kevin the next weekend and then it fall off again. And it's, it's you just couldn't really see where it was where it was going. Um and yeah, I could he could have a terrific sports car career and he might yet come back for you, bounce back for another F one opportunity in the future somewhere, but 
Um, I, for now, yes, I can understand Hass's decision. They want um, two solid point scorers. Someone they, they know they know they can when the car's capable of it, they can deliver it without question. And uh, yeah, Hulkenberg fits that bill. Yeah, and um, there's two very experienced drivers there. But as you say, maybe the door's not fully closed on Mick in case he does get a reserve role elsewhere to, to keep himself involved. I mean, we saw with Nick De Vries who. I'd argue wasn't maybe ready for Formula One at the time he won the F2 championship, but a few years later with more experience under his belt from other categories, did a great job when he got into that Williams as a one-off at Monza and obviously will be with Alpha Tauri next year. That leads to Pierre Gasly going to Alpine to replace Fernando Alonso, who's going to Aston Martin. And obviously we've got Logan Sargent coming in as well at Williams in place of Nicholas Latifi. So as we did a year ago, we're going to try and finish positively by looking forward uh, to next season and with those driver changes and with what we've seen this year Damien I'm going to start with you what are the aspects that kind of whet your appetite for 2023 what are the things that you think we should be looking forward to well I'm going to be optimistic and hopeful that we'll have six drivers competing at the top of Formula One that you'll have two two quick Red Bulls two quick Ferraris two quick Mercedes and that uh, we might have uh, some unpredictable results coming from that. Um, I'm fascinated to see Hamilton versus Russell in a properly competitive Mercedes. Um, I hope Ferrari can put their troubles behind them. And, I, you know, I would like to see Bonotto given more time, but I think maybe he needs more support. And maybe maybe someone coming in above him to ma- maybe manage above. The way that um, Jean Todd was brilliant at that, as Mark said, you know, he kind of managed De Montezemolo to allow Ross Braun and the and the, the engineering team to to get on with it. And that's what I think what Bernardo needs. But yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing to seeing uh three good teams, hopefully all winning Well I'd like to yeah. think I was I was gonna say I'd l- I'd like to think that the uh, Ferrari setup will, if it does change, depending on how well this podcast ages, that the car's pretty set in stone for next year. So hopefully uh, the continuation from this year and, and the step forward they've made will mean that we do have that fight, regardless of whether the management structure has changed or not over the winter. But uh, Mark, what do you think would be uh, something to look forward to? Well, the obvious one that Damien's always, Damien's always already touched on is um, Russell Hamilton, a competitive car going at it for the full season. Um, but the other one I'm intrigued by, really intrigued by, is Oscar Piastri's performance at McLaren alongside Lando Norris, because that is one very, very tough gig. Um, a much tougher gig than um, than uh, the one he might have had at Alpine, um, going in with probably, or certainly on the form of this year, a, a, an inherently faster car and uh, probably... A weaker teammate than than Lando, so it would have been easier to look good there, I think. But um, because of the the way Alpine played it, he's not there anymore, and he's got this opportunity at McLaren. And I, I think Lando has performed an extraordinary season this year in a, in a very iffy car, and it was very easy to overlook because he's in that sort of no man's land, away from the attention of the big three teams. Um, so yeah, I think Lando is is uh, ready. To, if if he put him in a title contending car, I think he's ready to win titles. Um, he declined to um, take up a, the, the Red Bull's interest in him because I think he just felt he'd be going into Verstappen's team. Um, so yeah, that's 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 tough tough call. It's, it's why Daniel left. It's why Lando hasn't joined. But I do think he's performing at an extraordinary level. And so I'd love to see a good McLaren 
but um, I'm not that hopeful. I think it, we may have to wait until the new wind tunnel comes on stream before we, we're seeing that. But uh, yeah, Piastri and Lando in the same team, I think is going to be uh, quite something. Yeah, Mark, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's a good point. I'm fascinated by maybe a penny for th- thoughts of uh, what Norris is actually going through this winter when he he considers you know his old F2 mucker George Russell do, you know in a Mercedes and he's in a McLaren that's not really going anywhere fast. Um, he's such a talent. He knows it deep down. I think his confidence has has grown over the last couple of years. Um, isn't he wasted where he is now? Yeah, at the moment, I agree he is. Um, but it's yeah, just, you know, you have to see how th- these things play out over over some years, I think. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing to witness somebody that good waiting this long to get, to get their car. Um, but I think we will see it. But whether it will be a good McLaren or a, a good something else, uh, I don't know. Where my excitement stems from is the potential for the field. Just to close that a little bit more based on how strong some of these teams now are. And each one seems to have a standout lead driver. Um, Now, uh, Alpine, maybe not after this year with Fernando Alonso leading, but Espen Ocon still did a solid job. As we said, Lando Norris at McLaren, absolutely super, like it's been a superstar this year. Then you go to Aston Martin now and Alonso's going in there. We talked about Bottas earlier with Alfa Romeo and the job he's been doing there. Same with Kevin Magnussen at Haas. Alex Albon, I do want to give him a quick mention before we wrap up that at Williams at times put in some great performances as well. So there seems to be an experienced, good standout driver at pretty much every team up and down the field. Realistically, you know, we could mention the Alpine lineup or we could say the Alfa Tauri one, but Alfa Tauri's role is meant to be to prepare drivers for Red Bull. So um, I'd like the potential that each team has if they can give the give their drivers or at least one of them a competitive car hopefully with these new rules as well being a bit more restrictive in development avenues it might actually start to bunch up a little bit more um, next season than in previous years it, it you know used to take a full generation of regulations didn't it to bunch the field up hopefully that happens more quickly this time but speaking of those great drivers just one final plug before we go for the uh, awards that you can vote for the end of season awards on motorsportmagazine.com you've got until the 22nd of december to vote on those lando norris is up for driver of the year alongside a few others i won't give away all the shortlists i'm going to try and tease you all to make your go and have a look now so uh, as soon as we sign off please go vote do it uh, and you can hear about the winners uh, around christmas time but for now thank you very much damien and mark for your time it's been much appreciated uh, everyone you've been listening to the motorsport magazine end of season review for 2022 uh, have a great christmas and new year Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.